Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. We're in the new series. We're in the book of Nehemiah. If you open up there, you'll find Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Uh, if you don't know exactly where to go, if you see Ezra, uh, you're almost there. If you see Job, you've gone too far. So there you are, right there in the, in, in, in the middle or the kind of latter part of the uh, New Testament or the Old Testament, you can get to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an amazing, amazing journey through a key part of history of the people of God. And God did so much in such a short period of time. God accomplished what many would have seen as impossible through a leader who was submitted to him. And we're going to understand a lot of principles through God's word as we take this journey together. So would you join me in a word of prayer? And uh, we're just going to ask God to meet us today as we begin this journey. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for the power of your word. I thank you that it is living and active, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword, meaning that it goes down deep, Lord. Your word says that the word of God, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. So we pray today, Lord, not just that the word would be open before us, but that we would be open before you. That, Lord, we pray that as your word has the ability to challenge and convict and how your Holy Spirit comes to lead us into all truth, Lord, that we would not lean away from the areas that stir our heart today. That the things that may prick our heart that come out of your word, Lord God, may we submit ourselves wholly to you to allow the work that you want to do in us and through us to take place. Lord, we pray right now as we begin this journey into your word, Lord God, would you help us to live that changed life that we've been talking about. Help us to nurture our spiritual growth. Help us to grow every day in our hunger for you, Lord God. Lord, help us to walk in a life-changing relationship with you, our Lord, our Savior, our hope. Lord, we commit ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're in Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. And this is Nehemiah saying, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened upon the month of Chislev in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital. Stop right there. This is the first verse. This is the opening of this book. And in this, Nehemiah is beginning to give some key information about what time it is, what's happening in this moment in history. First, he introduces himself. His name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah was someone that lived in a very important time in history, the history of God's people. He lived after a period of time that was known as the exile. Now, if you have studied uh, this portion of God's word before in scripture, you know about the exile. Some of you, though, you have not been familiar with this. And so here's what happened. Over a period of time, God had established a place where he wanted his name, his people to dwell. And he said, I will be their God. They will be my people. It was called uh, many different things in scripture, but uh, many knew of it as the promised land because it was a place that God promised to his people. So Israel was the people of God. And then they had a land and they called that land Israel. It was the place where God had given them. It was a great land and a great place. God had established them to build a temple there and it would be a place where they would worship him and have relationship with him and they would walk in obedience to him and they would experience all the blessings of what a relationship with God promised to them. A lot of that was around protection and provision that God would fight their battles for them. God would provide for them supernaturally as they walked in obedience to him. But over a period of time, their hearts grew cold to God 
a nation that was once founded upon God and his word and his way and his principles soon drifted. And you know what happened? They started to worship other gods and they started to create shrines and create these high places and areas where they would set up idols and they would start to pray to these other gods. They would start to um, willingly disobey God and live for whatever pleased them and they didn't care anymore. And God, he was so loving, so kind, so patient with them time after time. He started to send prophets to them, people that God put his words in their mouth to warn them that if they didn't change their ways, that something bad would happen to them. And they wouldn't obey. And eventually, God did exactly what he promised he would do. He gave them the desires of their heart. Their heart was not to worship him or be in relationship. And so for a moment... They, had to, they got to feel the full weight of what it felt like for God's hand to be removed from them. His protection was removed. And when God lifted his hand, you know what happened? All the enemies that used to be powerless against them became powerful against them. Everyone that used to not be able to have victory, they would come after the walls and the walls wouldn't fall because God was protecting them. But when God lifted his hand, they were vulnerable for the first time in a long time. And that's when there was a siege on the city. The Assyrians came in, the Babylonians came in, the Persians, they took them out and they made them prisoners in another land. And so they went from being a people who had everything that they ever wanted to being slaves in a foreign land. This was the people of God. The city was ruined. It became a laughingstock, a mockery. The gates were torn down and burned. The temple was destroyed. Could you imagine? We see today, as we saw with the fire and what had happened down in Charleston, South Carolina, where someone had come and out of hate, they had destroyed a place where God was worshipped. To imagine that the place in that time, the temple in Jerusalem, the place where God's presence dwelled in the Holy of Holies was destroyed. Could you imagine how that would make them feel? They felt completely hopeless. They had no hope at all. And as time went on, God was merciful and he allowed them eventually to be able to go back. And so many of them, 50,000 of them went back, but when they came back, they came back to what looked like a hopeless situation. Today I think a lot about the story of Nehemiah and what they went through. And if you've just been following the news, if you've been following culture at all, I can see us on that same pathway in the way that we are living our lives, the way the world is going today, that more and more we're becoming removed from God being at the center of anything. People's hearts are becoming hard. They're turning away from him. It's a time where many people are battling very difficult addictions. They're, they're being overwhelmed by sin, confusion. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. I can remember when Pastor Paul Ushak, who's the pastor of Streetlight Mission, a great mission and ministry that we support over in Elizabeth, he came here and he spoke on a Sunday morning, and it was a few years back, and I could remember these words that came from his mouth. He said, the biggest issue that we're facing in Elizabeth is not what you think it is. He said, it is not the homelessness. It is not the drug addictions. It is not the crime. It is not people taking their own lives or the the uh, violence one against another. It's not the gunshots we're hearing in the distance. The greatest issue facing the people that we minister to is hopelessness. 
they don't have any hope. And therefore, because they don't have any hope and they have given up, they're taking part in all of those things. But guess what? If hope comes into their life, that can change everything. And I can remember that standing so firm with me. When a people have lost their hope, do you know what happens? They don't care anymore. They're doing whatever they want to. That's the situation that's facing the people in Nehemiah's day. For some in the world around us right now, they're losing hope. They're losing heart. You look at our nation. You look at many of the things that once stood, many of the things that we once held dear, and you've seen the erosion over the years. And for some of you, you feel like the people of God. You're looking at something that was once pristine, once exciting, once something you were proud of. Now you're saying, what has happened? What has happened? And you might even be in a place where you are losing hope or you have lost hope. The danger is that once someone has lost hope, they, they start to fade away. They start to become susceptible. The enemy starts to have their way with them. Before long, they've lost their purpose. They've lost their reason. Nehemiah was in that very time, over 50 years after the people had come back. But many, they didn't even return because of how bad it was in Jerusalem. Some went back, and with Ezra and others, they went back and they worked to rebuild the temple and they worked to rebuild the walls. And it took them two, three decades to get that kind of work done. And continually, they were facing opposition. Continually, they were, they were being attacked and they were having difficulty maintaining the progress. This is the time when Nehemiah comes onto the scene. And as Nehemiah enters in, we find out that as he is in Persia and as he is serving the king of Persia, he has a very special job. If you look all the way down, if you have your Bible open to the end of verse 11 in chapter 1, it tells you, the very last words of the chapter tell you what Nehemiah's job was. He says, now I was a cupbearer to the king. A cupbearer was so much more important than what I think we believe it to be today. We think that that is maybe a glorified butler. Um, you're thinking, you know, Al, you're thinking Alfred from Batman or something, you know, just following the king around and giving him whatever he wants. It was so much more than that. For you to become the cupbearer to the king, it was a place of prominence, a place of prestige. You have to be handsome. You have to be well-spoken. You have to be able to advise the king on the affairs of the kingdom. You have to be able to know so much. And so for this man who was once a slave to now become the cupbearer to the king, it was a place of such prominence, a place of such opportunity, an opportunity that could be used for good or could be used for evil and manipulation. We see the prominence of this position even all the way back in Genesis, chapters 40 through 42, whenever uh, Joseph is able to come in contact with someone who served as a cupbearer uh, at the king's uh, throne. So Nehemiah is there, and he's in a very specific place. He's in the capital, Susa. This is the capital city of the Persian Empire. This was the place where the king of Persia would go in the winter months, and that's what it says it was, and that time that is given is actually sometime between November and the end of December. That is the time frame when they are there. This was the king's winter palace that he stayed in. So Nehemiah even traveled with him. He didn't have two cupbearers, one in his summer residence. Nehemiah was it, and he went with him and stayed with him wherever he would go. And as Nehemiah was there before the king at this time in Susa, and Susa is a very famous place. If you read the story of Esther, that's where that takes place. If you've read through Daniel, that's where Daniel was taking place as well. So Susa, the capital city, a prominent place, a prominent position. And here is Nehemiah. And as Nehemiah is there in that moment, there is an ordinary day just like any other day 
but it's a day that changes Nehemiah's life forever. We need to be careful not to neglect those ordinary days. For many of us, we are waiting for God to do something special in our lives, and we're looking We're looking for these supernatural, miraculous experiences. We're looking for us to wake up one day and the clouds are purple and, you know, the whole world is upside down and God's there speaking to you in a megaphone and he's waiting at the front door for you when you walk out. But it's normally in those everyday, run-of-the-mill days that God is in the business of changing people's lives. It was a very ordinary day when Moses went out And he met God in a burning bush. It was a very ordinary day when David was out tending to his father's flocks and God set him apart and anointed him to be king over Israel. It was a very ordinary day when Andrew and Peter were walking around and Jesus came and met them and said, come and follow me. It's in those very ordinary days whenever you are sensitive and you're receptive to the Lord, that he can come into your life and do something that will change it forever. That's exactly what happened in Nehemiah's story. God used this ordinary day to change everything. I've heard it said that a large door can swing on very small hinges. Big movements in your life can happen in very small and seemingly insignificant days and moments in time. So Nehemiah is there on this very ordinary day, and we see in verse 2 that something a little bit different happens during that day, that his brother comes back. Let's read together in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Now Hanani, one of his brothers, and some of the men from Judah, came, and I asked them, this is Nehemiah speaking, concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity in about Jerusalem. So Nehemiah says that when my brother came with some of the other men from Judah, that's right there, that was seen as the place right where Jerusalem was, he said, I inquired, how are the people that escaped captivity? How, how is the city of Jerusalem doing? How are things? Now, he may, in your mind, be asking a very simple question. It may be one that you think is um, just someone being nice just asking but not really caring. But there's something that goes very deep into this because this question reveals something very important about Nehemiah, something we have to get in our hearts today. Why was Nehemiah asking about a seemingly insignificant group of people, a struggling remnant that lived hundreds of miles away? He was the king's cupbearer. He had better things to be focused on. Why would he fix his attention on someone else somewhere else that he had nothing to do with. It wasn't Nehemiah's fault that they were in the position that those people were in. That was his parents' and their parents' fault that they fell into that kind of sin. Why was he worried about the judgment that had come on that area? He is experiencing all the blessings and comfort of his life right where he is. But there's something in his heart, something that's reflected in a word of prophecy that comes over 150 years earlier. If you look in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 5, the prophet, under the utterance of the Lord, speaks out these words and says, Indeed, who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Who will mourn for you? Who will turn aside to ask about your welfare? In that moment... There is this one question that's on the heart of God and it comes through the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah and here's what he's asking. Who cares? Who cares about what's happening in Jerusalem? Who cares about what's happening to my people? 
Who cares? For some of you, you use that term all the time. You use it when you're talking about something insignificant. People are pressing you on a trivial matter and you say, who cares? Who cares about that? Why are we focusing on that? God is asking this question, who cares? You want to know who cares? God cares about what's happening to his people. God cares about the hurt and the pain and the heartache that they are experiencing. God cares about the things that you may think no one cares about. God cares about the things today that you aren't caring for yourself and think don't matter. God cares. That's the answer to that question. But you know why it's being asked by the prophet? Because the prophet is asking this question saying, is there anyone today who has the same heart as God that cares about the things that God cares about? He's asking that question. And you know what Nehemiah was portraying as he was asking that question? He was a man who cared about the things that matter to the heart of God. He cared about a group of people that many others had written off. Maybe anyone else that was sitting in his position would not even need to worry themselves what's what's happening hundreds of miles away. Do you realize that hundreds of miles away for him is thousands of miles away for us? With the modern modes of traveling that we have today, he might as well have been on the other side of the world. We'd say, what, what does it matter what's happening? Who cares? God cares. And he's looking for his people to care about the things that matter to him. So we see today that Nehemiah asks this question because he cares. He cares not just about his family, but he cares about God's people. He cares about the place that God had once seen as a light to all the nations. He cares about the place that God desired to dwell among his people. He cares about the place that God once had a plan and purpose for. He just cares about that. So he asks the question, and we see that through this, that, that Nehemiah models his caring in four distinct ways. His, his care causes him to act in a certain way. For some of you, you think that your caring is really nothing more than a feeling, that if you care about something, it's because you feel bad or good about it. Well, our caring needs to carry on to action, because do you know that care is also a verb? Does anyone know that? Care can also be a verb, and it's best when it's a verb. That whenever you're caring, spills over into action, and you're doing something, uh, that's most important. And so Nehemiah modeled his caring in four distinct ways. The first one is that he cared enough to ask the question. And you may not see that as significant, but it's seen right there in God's word in Jeremiah 15. Who will even ask? Who will inquire? Who will care enough to know what's happening? In Jerusalem, what's happening among God's people who are suffering? Who cares enough to ask? Whenever we look at this question, there's, there's a lot that goes with the idea of caring. For many of us today, we can see that we would not like to know some of the things that we know in this life. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe your children are doing something you know that they really shouldn't be doing and your spouse is away and you're, maybe you're busy doing something else and so you know that if you ask the question about what they're doing, it's going to make your life a little bit harder for the next few hours. And so some of you, you know, if it's not life-threatening, you know, here's what you say, I'm not even going to ask. How many of you have said that? I'm not even going to ask right now. 
why do you say things like that? Because you're saying, I'm not really looking to get involved in that right now, so I'm not even going to ask. I know something weird's going on, but I'm not even going to ask. It's because we don't really want to be involved in it. But to take it to a more serious place, maybe you're scrolling online recently, you're on Facebook, you're on one of the social media sites, you're looking at articles that are popping up all around you, and you're seeing troubling news reports. You're hearing about these allegations against Planned Parenthood and what's going on in the abortion industry and the selling of, of body parts, and, the, and you're, you're being taken aback. You're reading these articles about what's happening with ISIS and what they're doing to women, to children, to, to people, to Christians, and you're you're being taken, but you see some of the things that are taking place, and for some, of, for some of us, you know, our response is the same. I'm not even going to ask. I'm not even going to look into it. I'm not even going to pay attention. I, just, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with that. I just need to get on to the things that I'm focused on in this life. I'm not even going to ask. You know, God's been convicting me of that lately. He's been convicting me big time on that lately. Because he said, you know what? Whenever we don't want to ask the questions, you know what that is? That's apathy. That means we don't care enough to know if there's something going on that's breaking the heart of God and we can see it, it's right there in front of us and we say, you know what? I don't even want to know about that. I have better things to be focused on. That's turning away from things that may matter very much to the heart of God. It's not about spending hours looking for things and going around and digging. That, that, that can be very unhealthy as well. But for some, we can say, what may be happening is so disheartening, so bad that I don't even want to know about it. We are the light of the world. That is the epitome of us putting a bucket right over it and not shining. That is us burying our head in the sand saying, you know what, whatever's happening in this world, I don't need to know about it. I need you to know something today. The church is not a storm cellar that we come and hide away and watch the world go to nothing. The church is the place that we call the world in and we say we have the hope of the world, Jesus Christ here. He can change you. He can save you. Jesus could have looked down into heaven from the pristine place that he was in at the right hand of the Father and he could have seen the mess of sin and debauchery and things that were happening. He'd say, I don't even want to know. I don't even want to deal with it. If I go and I see, that means I may have to do something about it. And I got a good job here. I'm, I'm at the right hand of the Father. But that's not what happened, is it? He came to us and he came to get messy. And a part of the mission that God had given to his one and only son was to come, to enter into that mess and to redeem us and save us and to set us free. And guess what? When he left this earth, he gave his church that commission, go into all the world, even into the messy parts, even into the broken parts, even into the disheartening areas, even in places that will turn your heart. And when you're there, bring the light of Jesus Christ to those people. Do you know that's exactly what happened a couple of weeks ago? Uganda, Rwanda, they went to a place where this mass genocide had taken place. Pastor Marcia shared it with you. For many, they'd say, you know what? No, take me somewhere else. Take me to a place where I can just play with children and, and hang out with them. But you know what? God sends us to the places where he wants to use us most. And for many, we have to be willing to ask the question. We have to be willing to lean in to know, Lord, what's going on? So the first thing, he cared enough to ask, and we have to be the same way as watchmen on the wall today as those that God has placed. We, like Nehemiah, must care enough to ask 
the question. Aldous Huxley said, facts do not cease to exist because they are ignored. Closing our eyes to the truth around us is a first step towards tragedy in the lives of others and ourselves. Whenever we decide that we're going to turn away and turn a deaf ear to the, to the needs of the world right around us, of the brokenness, of the sin, of the hopelessness that's right there, some of us on our doorstep, we're doing the opposite of what God's word is calling his people to be in this day. Whenever Nehemiah asked the question, he got the answer. It wasn't an answer he was happy about. It wasn't an answer that would make him feel any better at all. But look how the answer comes to him in verse 3. It says, they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are great in distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. To summarize this bad news, there are three key things that are going on in the news that Nehemiah has given. Remnant, ruin, reproach. Instead of being a land inhabited by the people God wanted and being a people that were flourishing and were living and experiencing all the joys of this life, they were just a remnant of people barely surviving. The city was in ruins. The place was a complete reproach. They were in distress. They were hopeless. Such a far cry from what God had originally intended. When we look at the brokenness in this world around us, we can see how far it is from God's ideal standard, from the way that God had once intended it. And it's not because God is trying to punish us, not because he doesn't love us, but because we've been given the free choice to sin and many have made that choice and want to live that life of sin and far away from God, choosing to take part in what doesn't honor him at all. And because of that, we see the effects of sin all around us. And as Nehemiah heard this news and as he asked the question, he was willing to understand and take in all that was happening, even though it was overwhelming to consider. You can see just the idea of the, the gates being down and the walls being down, the incredible vulnerability that faced them. If you read in several of the Psalms, I know Psalm 48 and uh, Psalm 79 and 84, you can see that the psalmist is particularly focused on the idea of walls being essential for a city. And whenever the walls are down, it leaves you vulnerable. It leaves you in a place of disgrace and shame. And that's exactly where they were at that time. And although it wasn't what he wanted to hear, he wasn't ashamed to ask because when you care enough, you ask the question. You inquire, you lean in to the things that matter to the heart of God. So he did. Are you, are we the kind of people who will lean in and listen, who will ask the question, do we care enough to ask? He cared enough to ask, but he also cared enough to weep. Nehemiah, he received that news in verse 4. Look what happens. It says, when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I've heard it said that what makes people laugh and weep often reveals their character. When God puts a burden in your heart, don't try to escape it. Because if you do, you may miss the very blessing he's planning through you at that time. Let's think about where we are right now at the beginning of this journey. This story of Nehemiah starts with great distress, anxiety, and burden. But it ends with great celebration. The mourning may last for a night, but the joy will come, won't it? The weeping can last, 
but the joy will come in the morning. It can happen for just an instant, but God has a greater plan in store. And for some of us, we don't want to lean into the hurt. We don't want to lean into the pain. We don't want to have to go there. But God desires for our heart to be broken for the things that break his heart. And if the spirit that raised Jesus Christ is at work in you, and you find yourself now tearing up over things that you did not used to tear up over, you find yourself being brought to tears over things that used to not matter to you, I would tell you that I believe the Spirit of God is moving in your heart and in your life, and he's quickening you to the things that matter to the heart of God. And don't lean away from that. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be afraid of that. Here's what you do. You weep with those who weep. That's what God's word says. You stand and grieve with those who grieve. God is taking away your heart of stone. He's given you a heart of flesh, and he promises that that heart of flesh will be sensitive to him. And he's put his spirit in you to lead you into all truth. And part of the place that God wants to lead us is even into difficult circumstances, into places that can even cause us to weep. But as we weep and as those tears are shed, he's also working something behind the scenes for his own glory that could be of great celebration, great joy. So don't be afraid to weep with those who weep. As he went through this, he was also fasting. And as he's fasting, this was something that only happened once a year on the Day of Atonement. That would happen once a year for the Jewish people. So for him to have fasted now for several days shows just how much this is at the heart and core of him. He's allowing his heart to be broken for the things that break the heart of God. And for us to be who God's called us to be, we need to care enough to ask, but we also need to care enough to weep, allow it to move our hearts as the Spirit of God moves on us, as we sense and understand the brokenness of what's happening around us. Does your heart break today? for the things that break the heart of God. Do you care enough today to weep over the areas in our city, the areas in your neighborhood, the areas in your family? Please don't grow cold and callous to it anymore. There used to be people that used to weep over them not knowing the Lord and having a relationship. And maybe over whatever reason or series of circumstances, your heart's becoming hard to them. You're not moved anymore in that way. Allow God to convict you even in this moment. Pray. Don't stop weeping. Don't stop crying out for your unsaved love ones don't stop crying out for the areas that you may think that hope is all but gone in situations don't stop reaching out and crying out for our country for our leaders for all the things that God desires to do among us care enough to weep care enough to enter into that brokenness care enough to stand and have the heart of God the third thing that Nehemiah does he comes right out of that weeping and this should lead us right into prayer he cared enough to pray he cared enough to go right to the source. He didn't go from there and because he was weeping and moved, get up and try to do anything in his own strength. He went directly to prayer and he prayed without ceasing, going before the Lord continually. And as he prayed, he cried out to the Lord. See, his, his, his desire wasn't, wasn't anything else but to bring all of these things before the only one who can bring hope to a hopeless situation. And it was the Lord himself. And we learn a lot through Nehemiah's prayer. Look with me in verse five. Here's what Nehemiah says. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. 
and have not kept your commandments, nor your statutes, nor your ordinances, which you have commanded your servant Moses. See, in this moment, Nehemiah goes into a place where he's calling upon the Lord, but he goes right into confession. Confession and repentance. And I want you to know that as we weep, as we're broken, that is the place that we go to. We confess our sins, our wrongdoing. If some of you have not confessed your sins since the time that you accepted Jesus, I want you to know something between that time, even if it was yesterday and today, you may have something that you need to confess before the Lord. Don't hide that. Don't minimize that. Say, Lord, I confess. If you realize that you're living in a way, walking in a way, acting in a way that isn't honoring the Lord, go to him in prayer. Go to him and confess that and repent and turn from it so that you can walk in a way that honors him. He's not waiting to punish you. He's not looking to hold that over you, but just like a child. Oh, I love it if my child would recognize when she didn't do the things that she should and would come and say, I acknowledge, I realize I should have been doing this and I was doing that and I'm going to go and live a different way. How many of you would go crazy today if your kids came and did that without you having to tell them, right? It's a sign of health. It's a sign of growth. It's a sign of a beautiful relationship when we are able to realize when the Holy Spirit convicts us and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I wasn't honoring you in that way. I'm gonna walk in this way. So Nehemiah just begins confessing his sins. He begins to acknowledge the sins of those that even came before him. And he said, look, I know we have sinned. We have done what is wrong in your sight. This church is the turning point in the story. This is the turning point in the first section of this entire uh, portion of the series that we're doing. Because the first thing that really needs to happen before hope can ever be rebuilt among a people is their eyes have to be opened. They have to be able to see again. They need to have a renewed vision. And for these first few messages, that's what's going to be the theme that we're talking about. That for us to see our hope ultimately rebuilt, the vision of the people has to be renewed. And this is the moment where God begins to put the vision in Nehemiah's heart. And it starts when Nehemiah realizes something. And it's right there. You could miss it if you, if you don't catch it right as you read through. In verse 5, as Nehemiah is beseeching the Lord, he's calling upon him, and he's using all these terms that you probably don't use when you pray. Or if you do, you may not know what it means when you're saying it. But he says, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Here's what he's saying. He's saying those two words, covenant and loving kindness, very, very, very important because he is calling upon a name for God that speaks to his heart and his love and his covenant. A covenant is a promise, a contract that was made that God will not break. And the word that's used there is hesed, which is the word for covenant love, the covenant love of God, that his covenant and loving kindness means his covenantal love. When we go back to his covenant that he made with Abraham all that time before, here's what God said. If you are faithless, I will be faithful. God made a promise all the way back then that even when his people would fail, God would still remain faithful because that's who he is. And I'm so thankful today to know that no matter where I've been, no matter what I've done, no matter what uh, darkness and shame has stained your past, that we have a God today who says this, even when you're faithless, even when you're at your worst, I'll still be faithful. I'll still bring hope into every hopeless situation. 
to those who will honor me and those who will walk in my ways and honor my commandments. That's where the hope comes up. That's where the hope is birthed. That's where we see that there is hope even in the midst of the situation Nehemiah finds himself in. As he's in the presence of God, God gives him the vision for the hope that he can have. It's not going to be in the cities. It's not going to be in the workers. It's not going to be in the king. It's not going to be in anyone else but in God's faithfulness to fulfill and keep his covenant. This is the place of prayer, and this is where this all begins. Pastor Kerry said we got to lay a base. we got to lay a foundation. If we want to see God move in our lives, if you want to see him move in your life, you lay that foundation through prayer. That's why I'm so excited about these nights of hope. We're going to have three of them that move us through this sermon series, preparing our hearts for what God's word is teaching us, but also for the work that he's going to call us to do in our community in just a few short months. The first one is tonight. And tonight's theme is all about what we're talking about this morning in God's word, that we want God to open our eyes, to quicken our hearts, to move in us so that our hearts will be broken for what breaks his heart. And then we will call out to God just as Nehemiah has. So I'm encouraging you, please be here. It's going to be no longer than an hour long of a service that we're going to have together. It's going to be a time of prayer, going before the Lord, pressing in. Do you care enough to pray. Nehemiah did. And in that, he discovered the hope that comes to God's people when they seek him. Here's what he says in verse 8. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among all the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments, then even those who are in the remotest parts of the heaven, I will gather from there and bring you to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. That's Jerusalem and in that area of Israel. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. So Nehemiah, in the midst of his prayer, begins to call upon the Lord. And he says, Lord, you have said, <laughs> you have promised. If we're faithless, this is what we have to expect. But if we turn back to you, you will take us from all parts of the earth. You will bring us together and you will bring hope to us again. I'm asking for you to do that in this hour. How many of you know that the same promise that God has made stands today that if we turn, if we who are called by his name humble ourselves and pray, God will hear from heaven. He will heal our land. He will move in our midst. He will change our circumstance. He will meet us in a powerful way if we who are called by his name would humble ourselves and pray, do you care enough about what's happening in the world around you? Do you care enough about what's happening in your family? Do you care enough about what's happening in your life to pray, to seek God, to ask him to move and to spend time in his presence? That's where the vision for Nehemiah came. That's where a vision can be renewed is in the presence of God, and it changes everything. As Pastor Brian and the worship team come, you know what happened as Nehemiah is in the presence of God? He gets a confidence that comes over him. Nehemiah leaves this place and has such confidence that it changes everything. This confidence, you know what it comes from? It comes from God's faithfulness. In the presence of God, he gets a vision of the faithfulness of God. And I want you to know that you cannot confidently tackle the things that are facing you in this life unless you are stepping out of the presence of God into them. If you are on your own and you are not spending time in God's presence, in prayer, seeking his face, you are ill-equipped to do what God has set you here on this earth to do. It can only come from time in his presence, seeking his faith. We see 
that as he stands in faith, as we see as Nehemiah comes out of God's presence in confidence, he's ready to go straight to the king. He has a vision renewed that comes from his time in prayer. So he cared enough to ask. He cared enough to weep. He cared enough to pray. And for many of us, that's where we think it ends, is that we pray and we pray, God, I pray that you'd move in their life and I pray that you'd send someone to them that would help them and lead them through the difficulty that they're facing and I I pray that you'd send someone there and do that. And, And you know what happens when we pray those kinds of prayers in God's presence? He begins tapping us on the shoulder and he says, yes, and now you're going to be the answer to their prayer and you're going to go there and now you're going to go and help lead them in that way and you're going to go and meet that need. You don't realize it when you're praying, but you're saying, Lord, please send someone. He said, I am, I'm sending you. That's exactly what he does in Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah says, Lord, I know what they need. They need a leader. They need to see the walls rebuilt. They need to see all these things. And the Lord presses in the heart of a cupbearer and says, I'm sending you. So as Nehemiah sees that, recognizes it, and he cares enough to go, here's how the rest of his prayer goes in verse 11. Oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. He says, Lord, I realize what you're doing and I care enough to go. Do you care enough not just to pray and weep and ask the questions, but do you actually want to be used by God? Because he wants to use so many of us to bring hope into this world, to bring hope into our community, bring hope into our families. He wants to use you. The answer to the prayer that you have been praying may be right in front of you. Are you willing to avail yourself to God? And say, Lord, if you could use anyone, you can use me. Nehemiah cared enough to ask the hard questions when he knew that the answers may be disheartening. He cared enough to weep for the things that broke the heart of God. He cared enough to pray and spend time in God's presence knowing that God was the only one who could accomplish the task at hand. And he cared enough to go confidently out of the presence of God, knowing that if God was with him and for him, no one could be against him. Will you do the same? Who cares today, church? Does anyone care about the things that matter most to the heart of God? Would you stand with me and bow your heads and hearts? Lord Jesus, we come before you today and we thank you that as we reach this point in Nehemiah's story, he's about to go and stand confidently before a throne. And he could only stand with confidence before an earthly king's throne when he stood before the king of kings' throne in confidence, in prayer. And we pray today, Lord God, that just as your word promises that everyone who has called upon the name of Jesus, everyone who has been saved can come and stand. We can enter into your throne with confidence, your word says, so that we could receive grace and find help for our time of need. Lord, this is the hour that we need a move of God in our lives, in our community, in our world around us, Lord God. If there's ever been a time that we need your grace, your mercy, your help, it's now. And Lord, we come to you, those of you that know you, those that have called upon your name, we come confidently before your throne, Lord God acknowledging our shortcomings, acknowledging without you, we can do nothing.
And we ask you to move in our midst today. We ask you to move in our hearts. We ask you to break our hearts for the things that break yours. We ask you to give us uh, perceptive ears. And Lord God, we ask you to open our eyes to things that we could never see, Lord God, without you leading us. We pray today, break our hearts for the things that break your heart. Lord, help us today to come into your presence seeking your face. Lord, meet us tonight in a powerful way as we seek your face, as we set aside this time, Lord God, to intercede for the needs around us, Lord God. Would you move? Would you allow hope to rise in our midst? And Lord God, would your Holy Spirit enable us to go and to do exactly what you've called us to do? In Jesus' name. Today, we're going to have altar workers that are going to be here in the front. But I sense there are some among us right now, and just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, that your heart isn't right with God. And God's been trying to get your attention for a while now. Maybe that's why you're in service today, but he wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants your sins to be forgiven. And today, if you know that you're not right with God and you want to ask Jesus to be Lord of your life, it's just about what we talked about today, confessing your sin, confessing what you've done wrong and turning and walking in a new way and everyone that's willing to do that and believe that Jesus died for their sins and he rose again. If you're willing to make Jesus Lord of your life, your sins can be forgiven and you can have a brand new life. Is there anyone here within the sound of my voice that I'm describing you and you'd like to begin a new relationship with Jesus Christ? You'd like to come back from him. You've fallen away and you're ready to come home today. If that's you, within the sound of my voice, just lift your hand high above your head so that I can see it because I want to pause and just pray for us today. Is there anyone within the sound of my voice that, saying, that's me. I want to start a relationship with Jesus. I see your hand right here in the front. Is there anyone else? Amen. There may be some others. There's hands going up. If you're watching online, put your hand up before the Lord. He sees you. See in the balcony, I see your hands. Lord Jesus, I want you to repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. I believe that you came and that you died, that you rose again, and I will follow you all the days of my life. In your name I pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you come now and you meet them by the power of your resurrection as they have turned away, Lord, and they have committed themselves to you, Lord. I pray that you begin a brand new journey for them. Lord, help them not to walk that journey alone. Lord, help them to tell one other person, Lord God, about the decision they've made. And Lord, may you begin to walk alongside of them so that they can experience all that you would have for them. Lord, be with us now. Help us to respond to your word in Jesus' name. Amen.